The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to transform your life. Welcome to Direct Connect Empowerment with your host, Fee Mazanki. Our program will explore the concepts and ideas behind Direct Connect Coaching by introducing guests who are using or are aligned with this program and have used the ideas to transform their lives. It is our sincere hope that you can use this inspiration to do the same. Now, here is Fee Mazanki. And welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you to our very loyal listeners for spreading the empowering word to others and letting people know where to find us on the, uh, on the Internet. We begin each show with the boomerang effect, which is what you put out in life is equivalent to what you get back. It's kind of like the Beatles lyrics, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And that's what the boomerang effect is all about. Today's boomerang has to do with the anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. The two-year anniversary of the bombing is on April 15th. And James Costello was at the finish line cheering on one of his grade school buddies at the marathon on the uh, two years ago. And the bomb detonated at his feet, causing him a multitude of injuries. In fact, he spent two weeks at Massachusetts General Hospital where he received pig grafts just to replace some of his missing skin. And then after that, he was transferred to Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston. It was there at Spalding that his nurse, Krista D'Augustino, who was there just on a temporary assignment, dressed his wounds daily. Jim happened to invite Krista to a benefit for the bombing victims, and right after that, the magic happened and they began dating. And in December of 2013, Jim proposed to Krista on a cruise that they took together in Europe. Jim emphatically stated that he wished that no one else had been blown up in those bombings, but for him, the tragedy was the very best thing that ever happened to him because he met his best friend and the love of his life, Krista. What a beautiful attitude Jim has about this difficulty in his life. How often do we look at our most difficult experiences and find the blessings within them? Today's boomerang has to do with just that. What is the seed of grace or blessing in the difficulty or even the tragedy that you may be faced with? Throwing out a boomerang of blessings for all that we have, especially our most difficult experiences, is a way to help move through the difficulty with grace. And it can even happen more quickly than we would imagine if we did it differently. In fact, I remind my clients when they're going through a difficult time that A year from now, one year from now, you will truly understand the reason behind the difficulty and you will remember it with a smile. And I've used this theory with my clients over the past 15 years and it works so very well. So today, I encourage you rather to say, why me in a challenging experience 
Ask rather, what is the blessing in this? And see what happens to you. It's a wonderful way to open yourself up to the possibilities in your life as opposed to the difficulties. Like Jim Costello, the next bomb dropped on you can lead to a beautiful life. And speaking of beautiful lives, we welcome back Dan Delgdegan to the show. Thanks for joining us once again, Triple D. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Steve. We're really happy that you're you're back on the air and back with us again. And let me just uh, formally introduce Dan. Um, for those of you who have not heard him before, for Triple D, growth seems to be the very essence of his spirit. He knows business and he certainly knows growth. In a number of strategic moves, Dan has brought companies to extreme levels of growth. Most notably, during Dan's tenure at Salesforce, a technology company, the company grew from $50 million in sales to, check this out, over $4 billion in sales. Dan was then promoted in November of 2013 to president of Insighton Software, and within a nine-month period with Dan at the helm, Insighton tallied a more than 2,000% growth rate. Dan knows growth both personally and professionally. He leads a very balanced lifestyle with his wonderful wife and five amazing children, as well as as serves the community as a whole by volunteering for various charities, including combating poverty in Chicago. And I asked Dan to come back and talk to all of you once again to address this really fascinating topic topic and the components uh, to exponential exponential growth. So here we go, Triple D. Thanks for spending your time with us once again today. It's my pleasure, Faye. Thank you. Yeah. Now, um, I, I mentioned to you as I was looking for really important topics that I wanted to cover in 2015 that um, I had this one in mind about exponential growth. And as I kept reviewing what I wanted to do and who I wanted to uh, cover this this topic, I could not think of anyone better than you to cover it. So um, let's start, Dan, with your philosophies on how to get a team working on all cylinders to attain exponential growth. Sure. Well, what I love about the framing of this topic is the word exponential, because we, especially in the technology industry, I've spent my entire career of almost, well, actually over three decades in technology, and specifically in software. And the last 15 to 20 of those years have been around Internet-based applications. Now, that's a world, and the reason I frame it as such, that's a world in which high-growth companies have become a standard. And it's almost an expectation now that to achieve what we call escape velocity in that industry segment, meaning to monetize a company, whether it's an IPO or to get acquired by a bigger company, to have an outcome, if you will, or what some people will cynically call in this industry an exit strategy. I've always found it to be kind of an oxymoron. And the reason I'm highlighting that is because what you described as exponential growth, to me, is as much about spiritual growth, personal growth, and the self-actualization that we as human beings seek to get out of an experience, whether that's obvious to us when we join an organization or not. The exponential growth we're used to reading about in business journals and Fortune and Forbes and in the business pages of the Tribune are about revenue growth, about profitability growth, about organizational growth, growth in numbers of employees, growth in numbers of customers. So I'm quite accustomed to working in organizations that have had 
um, significant year-over-year growth, doubling every year until you get to a point where the laws of business physics dictate that you know, doubling every year is really hard to do. And then when you get to like a billion in sales growing at, let's say, you know, 40 to 50 or 60 percent is still very impressive growth. If you get a company to multiple billions of, of dollars in annual revenue, growing at like 30 to 40 percent um, is very impressive. So how you define exponential growth or impressive growth or noteworthy growth will obviously be a function of the size of the organization. In Sight and where we are right now, it's still a small enough company that we're doubling every year in size. And we're about a, on a run rate basis, we're about a 35 to $40 million company. That happens to be where I have the most fun, by the way, at companies that are about this size where we're still young, uh, aspirational, and we're creating our own destiny and disrupting the industry in which we operate. Wow. And um, I, I think it's fascinating, again, and I, I introduced you as having balance, Dan, that um, that you, at, at the onset here, you said spiritual growth was the first thing that you um, referenced. And so how do you take spiritual growth and apply it to the growth of an organization? Well, that's it's a great question in that spiritual can almost sound like I'm talking about religion, which is actually not. I mean, for some people, spirituality and religion are intertwined, and that's great. But the kind of growth I'm talking about, what I'm referring to as spiritual growth, of whether it's an organization or an individual, is self-actualization, meaning if I, as an, as a, an employee, and that's even as the president of my current company, I'm, I'm an employee. I'm one of the many who are delivering on behalf of our customers, and to an extent as well, of course, our shareholders. But as an employee, if I feel like I'm growing, meaning I'm learning, I'm challenged, and just as importantly, that I'm forging relationships and friendships and business contacts with people with whom I am likely to continue working again in my career as it evolves. That's an example of the kind of spiritual growth I'm talking about, where I feel like I'm part of something that is bigger than me, that I feel energized when I come to work, that I look forward to coming to work, that I look forward to um, partnering and teaming with my teammates at work every day. If I have that kind of feeling, like I look forward to it and I'm leaning in, as we say, then I'm probably experiencing what I would call spiritual growth because I'm engaged. I'm, my pilot light is on, and I'm feeling energized by, and I am actually then providing energy to the environment in which I work. Too often... Many of us know people, friends, relatives who feel differently about their work environment, that they feel a sense of drudgery or they feel a sense of duty or a foreboding sense as you get on Sunday night and anticipate another work week coming up. It's Perhaps it's rare, but I think there is an opportunity for us as leaders to create an inspiring environment in which people will, in fact, feel energized and they will have what, even though it might you know, sound a bit um, lofty to describe it as such, to have spiritual growth in their work environment. Again, to me, it's a matter of being inspired by the mission of the company and by the energy that you draw from the teammates. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. And, and that energy um, and being energized in work is something that, as a leadership coach, that's one of the underlying themes that I uh, present to each and every client, um, no matter who it is. And it could be a teenager that I'm working with, or it can be a, a grandparent or anyone in between, or a business executive or anyone in between, because that energy 
is what other people feed off of. And certainly in your case, Dan, it's, it's really fascinating to hear as you bring that um, concept of spiritual growth, and I'm, I'm assuming that self-actualization comes from kind of the early days of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, right. so to speak. Yeah, and so, um, you know, that's, that self-actualization is, is so important for you that, that your team obviously and clearly feeds off of that energy. And so I'm going to go out on a limb, Dan, and say, as a leader – that's probably one of the key components that you can bring as a leader to help fuel this exponential growth. Would you agree with that? I not only agree with that. See, I'd go a step further and say that I think as leaders, whether it's uh, in your community, in your church, in your family, of an athletic team, in an educational institution, or of a business, or any other leadership role, it is not just an opportunity to try to do that. I think it's an obligation, and I would, I would challenge all leaders in any of those settings that we're talking about here to think about what is it that inspired you when you were younger in your career before you took on a direct leadership post. And chances are, I'm going to guess, that all of us have had experiences in our lives we were inspired by somebody or by something or by an organization. That we, we saw something, we experienced something that clicked for us, that made us feel a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging in an organization or with a cause that we got caught up in and we felt passion about. And I think it's our obligation as leaders to try to, try to foster and create that environment in our organizations. And it's as, perhaps as much art as it's science, but I believe that too rarely is it the case where leaders foster that kind of environment and remember what it is that inspired them as they try to lead their, their organizations. And it's much less about being directive and prescriptive in coaching behaviors. It's about helping people see the joy and the return on investment, if you will, in the tasks that they're driving. And by return on investment, I don't just mean the financial return. I mean the self-actualization. What is it that's going to float your boat, that's going to energize you, make you feel a sense of purpose, that's going to make you you subconsciously, like, you know, puff out your chest and, like, yeah, and feel a sense of pride, like, wow, I was part of this, or I did that. What is it that's going to make you feel that way? It's my job as a leader to figure out what buttons those are to push for you that inspires you, that motivates you, and create the environment in which you're experiencing that. It's a combination of being, it's a combination of charisma, of being um, a kind of leader that doesn't take him or herself too seriously, Right, because I think an organization, the kind of culture I've tried to foster here and everywhere I've been, whether it was Oracle early in my career, Siebel Systems, Salesforce, where you mentioned I spent 11 years, and now here at Insight, and I've tried to foster a culture where we take what we do, our mission, very seriously, but we do not take ourselves very seriously. And in fact, I, when I interview candidates, whether leadership roles or individual contributors, I always value sense of humor. Not that we're just hiring a bunch of comedians. But I want people who are bright, who are energetic, who have the relevant experience, and who are intellectually curious, but also who have a sense of humor. Because we spend so many of our waking hours at work, we might as well work with and therefore surround ourselves with people that we probably want to hang out with anyway. In fact, uh, when I'm interviewing candidates, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I really want to hire this person, strong candidate, you're going to interview them whenever, I'll ask, okay, what about the stuck in an airport test? And as you can probably infer from what that, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> it's if this person, this candidate, if you were stuck in an airport, you know, we have a lot of experience with that being in Chicago, right? If you're stuck at O'Hare for four hours with flight delays and you're with this person, it's just the two of you, you're traveling on business, would your immediate subconscious reaction be, oh, God, I've got to spend how many hours with this person? I want to slip my wrist with a butternut here. Or would you be energized and say, hey, great, I'm going to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to have some fun. We're going to actually have a lively conversation. We're going to engage. I'm going to actually be energized by the additional time we'll spend together. If you think the latter, chances are that somebody, our customers, are going to feel that way about as well. But the inverse is also true. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the things that I enjoy doing with my clients is, um, which actually lists out energizers and drainers um, for people is uh, the Berkman Report. Um, We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Dan, I want to know what that looks like, what what that passion and energy is for you, um, because as a leader, I certainly know the speed of the team is always equal to the speed of the leader. So I want to ask you and pose that question to you when we get we when we come back. So we'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. Social media is important to your business, but you might not know how to do it right. Doing social media yourself can be a challenge. I have discovered a company that gets it done for you. They post seven times a week to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+, and they can monitor reviews on over 45 sites at a price any business can afford. Get more information at GetSocialWithFee.com and get your free analysis to determine your company's social media effectiveness. Visit GetSocialWithFee, that's F-I dot com, and find out more today. Because doing it wrong is worse than not doing it at all. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Mazanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. And we're back with Dan Deldegan, Triple D, and his concepts on exponential growth. And before the break, we were talking about... Um, you know, some of the facets and some of the things that help people to grow um, professionally and, and, and what contributes to exponential growth. 
And um, Dan, we were talking about, you know, what energizes people. And I'm really curious about you and what energizes you, what that passion or what that spark was for you that you keep carrying into the various companies that you've um, reached this uh, level of exponential growth with. So I think the consistent theme for me has been, as I look, see at the organizations I've been a part of, and I've been very fortunate to work with some great people. And any success that I've had in business has simply been a function of me following people who have been successful and whose vision I buy into and who inspire me. And I try to replicate those behaviors and inspire other people. Not coincidentally, those are some of the same people I've worked with at multiple companies throughout my career, as our many industries are like ours where we travel in herds. So if I think of what has been a difference maker for me and what creates this kind of inspiring environment where you can not just get the best performances out of people uh, who you hire, I think what we do as leaders is pretty simple. Hire great talent and experience. Inspire them and coach them to the best performances of their career. I think it's a bit like a film director coaching the best performance possible out of a great actor. Like when an actor wins an Oscar or is nominated for an Academy Award, I think a director can take just as much pride in that because you've coached that person and hopefully inspired that person to that performance in, in most cases, I would guess. I see a leader's role in any organization, whether your function is accounting, engineering, sales, marketing, et cetera. I think we have the opportunity to do that. But what it requires is to understand what do your people, have you, as you hire this talent and experience, what do they value? And so as I've, as I've seen our industry evolve, and luckily I've seen this throughout our customers as well and throughout all kinds of other industries, financial services, healthcare, manufacturing, even public, um, you know, public and private markets, I've seen an increased focus on philanthropy. And that's a dynamic really over the last 20 years that I'm, very, I'm delighted to see. And what that manifests itself in, and this was an important element for us at Salesforce, and not coincidentally, I've made it an important element here at Insight, is that what helps inspire employees is helping them feel like what they're doing in their commercial role in this organization is not just helping drive financial success and growth that we measure with revenue and profitability and customer growth. That's very meaningful for all the obvious reasons. But helping them feel like they're making a difference in the world is just as important. And by that, I mean even the small things, like our foundation at Insight, and similar to what we did at Salesforce when we built the foundation, takes a percentage of our equity, percentage of our profits, and percentage of our employees' time and donates it to a 501c3 charitable trust, through which we actually are able to be a benefactor to organizations whose causes we care about. Like in Chicago, that's CARA, which is an organization that helps fight homelessness and poverty in Chicago. It's the Make-A-Wish Foundation. It's the uh, Great Lakes Food Bank. We're a San Jose-based company. Uh, so in the Bay Area, we're active with many similar organizations. Another is the Forever Young Foundation, founded by Steve Young and his wife, former 49ers quarterback and NFL commentator, where they help criminally ill children in many of the children's hospitals throughout the world through music therapy programs. And I'm just citing some examples of causes that we get involved in, and it's not just writing checks, actually getting our employees to volunteer their time. In fact, every one of our employees has a quota of the number of volunteer hours that they provide during a given month to a cause that they care about, and they get to pick which one. It could be the United Way. It could be coaching the local youth sports team. It could be volunteering at a, in, in hospice or 
at a homeless shelter, whatever that employee is inspired by. And we, we ask them and actually hold them accountable to investing their time on company time, those causes. I find that that becomes as meaningful and in many ways more meaningful than the financial returns that we seek in our careers. I could not agree with you more, Dan, in that um, when people feel like they are serving others, there is that that is really ultimately that that peak of self actualization that we spoke about earlier that is attained when they serve others it's it's the idea of you know when you give out energy to others you fuel yourself right back that is the boomerang effect of that and right. um yeah and i i'm i'm really amazed that um you know, that you are allowing these people to do it on company time, that they're held accountable for it, and also that they are given the choice and decision as to where they're going to spend that energy. Um, and I would say that to me, as a, as a coach, because I've coached executives for so many years, I think that's a really important element of exponential growth because that ties the employees in so much. Um, and it's not a number-driven organization anymore. It's not about the numbers. The numbers are going to be there when they feel, they, the employees feel fulfilled like that. That's right. And I think you're right on. It's probably the best manifestation I can think of that boomerang effect you're talking about, See, yeah. The other numbers that it really um, shows up in is employee retention. Organizations that do this, that make corporate philanthropy a part of their culture and they weave it into the fabric of the daily activities of their employees, those employees tend to stay at those companies longer. They have less turnover. And turnover is one of the most expensive dynamics that uh, any organization has to deal with, losing talent and having to replace that talent and then retrain people. Tremendous loss of productivity that happens. If you can limit, reduce attrition, employee attrition and churn, um, that's a huge financial payback. That's another big benefit to the obvious benefits spiritual here, as I, as I was talking about earlier, um, for your employees and um, including the executive leadership team of having that kind of focus on philanthropy. I think it really helps us feel a sense of purpose that goes beyond our defined role and title in an organization. I, yeah, I, I definitely concur with that. Dan, and, and, and I think that's one that we need to beat the drum on it, it, for leaders that are out there who are listening to this program to really in, encourage and uh, look at putting that as part of a you know, corporate mission, as part of a corporate value statement, and you know, look at doing that because the benefits far outweigh any, you know, any of the, the risks that are taken there for sure. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of risks, what I obviously there are some risks to exponential growth, some thing, you know, growing pains, organizations and people go through different types of growing pains. What would you say are some of those risks when growth like this happens? The risks to pushing growth at the expense of other things that are important to solidify um, is that you will get people outside their comfort zone. Now, there's, there's obviously a direct trade-off there for any individual employee or a whole team or an entire organization. Pushing the envelope on your comfort is a necessary 
dynamic to achieve growth. We don't grow just like a muscle doesn't grow and strengthen until it's broken down. It has to be stretched. It has to be exercised, and there's going to be some pain and discomfort. That's how muscle becomes strong. Same same is true of an organization, of an individual. But if you push too hard, again, just like the exercise metaphor, you can rip it. You can break it. And organizations, uh, there's an analogy that I use often that uh, whether you're a race, race car enthusiast or not, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes from Mario Andretti. says, if you don't feel like the car's on the verge of being out of control, you're probably not going fast enough. Now, that's probably an extreme example, right? His, his analogy was that if he, if he swapped a little paint with the wall and turned four, I mean, just probably right on the edge of losing control of the car, and I mean, he's optimizing his outcome and his performance. If it's too easy to, to steer his car, he feels he's not pushing the performance envelope enough. Now, all, you know, the, notwithstanding the, you know, the high testosterone suggested through that metaphor, right, what you do want as a leader, I think, to understand is your own organization's capacity for change and for stress and for pushing the envelope on the growth so that, as an example, as you hire more and more employees, as you hire, let's say, more salespeople, you stress your internal systems. Yeah, to support those people, to train them, to if you bring on more and more customers, that's great for obvious reasons. But then you increase your obligation to have capacity to support those customers, to deploy their solutions, to support them, to renew renew those agreements, which is a, a dynamic in our business. So the capacity that an organization has for growth is a function of its culture, a function of how solid is the foundation on which you built those support resources. And if you push faster for growth, then your organization's capacity for change, you can break it. And how you'll know you've broken it is where you see, using the, the spinning plates metaphor, right? In the old Bozo Circus, for those of us that grow in the Chicago area, the plate spinner would be out there spinning plates on these sticks. And over time, those plates would start wobbling and hit the ground. If you don't prioritize, like the most important plates that you cannot afford to see hit the ground, right? then all of them will eventually hit the ground. So you've got to decide, all right, which plates do I absolutely have to keep spinning? The biggest plates that have the most important things on them that we can't afford to let fall. That's, a, again, the analogy of building a solid foundation and prioritizing your work. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, growing up in the Chicago area, the spinning plates is always uh, fun for me to remember back in the Bozo days. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. And so um, having all those plates spinning, what what would you say is, you know, keeping, I, I know prioritizing, but then keeping the priorities in order, what are some of your ideals in keeping those spinning plates and the priorities in order? Well, Here's the way I view it. I think an organization's priority should be extremely transparent and it should be obvious. I think every leader should wear on his or her sleeve those values that are important to them. And so there's a business planning process we go through that starts with our vision, like our vision of what we want our organization to be. What is our purpose in life? And it's aspirational. It can be very lofty, and we spend a lot of time laboring over what's that vision statement. Right. And then we talk about our values. Okay, so that's our vision. What are our values? How are we going to, how are we going to get there? What do we value? That should be well known to everybody in the organization. Every employee should know what your values are because that goes directly to what foundational pieces, what plates do we, do we spin that we are not going to let hit the floor? And that should be obvious when you understand an organization's values. Those ingredients should be right on the label, if you will, just like a can of soup. And the best 
leaders are very transparent with that. The best leaders will enlist the feedback of the organization in determining that vision and those values, and they will then publish those, literally, like make it very visible to everybody in the organization. So if you, if you stop anybody in the middle of the work day and say, okay, what are the values of the company? You know, it might be a big document, but at least a few of them should be able to come right off the top of the head for every employee that, oh, well, what we value it. And it's not, here's what my CEO values. Here's what my CEO wants from me. It's here's what we value, just like a family has values. And, and any organization should have a set of values that are the aggregation of what your employee base, um, what they value. So I think if you're clear with that, then it's easier to prioritize your work between, okay, should we continue, just an example, should we continue to innovate over here in this one area that's intriguing to us? But that next hour of time that we spend or that next dollar of investment is either going to go there or it's going to go doing a diving catch on an existing customer who's in trouble. Well, that's an easy trade-off, right? Clearly, you got to go support the customer, right? Chasing another shiny object because it's intriguing to us and it's intellectually stimulating at the expense of supporting an existing customer who's struggling with a current product. That's a very, obviously, you know, directly sketched contrast here. Priorities, you've, you've got to prioritize the latter over the former. That's an example of a plate you can't afford to let hit the floor. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's a great, great way to view it. And as long as that's clear to the employees, and if you're going out and asking the employees about the values of the company, not just, you know, your personal values or your corporate vision values as CEO, but of, um, of the entire organization. There's so much buy-in to that, wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. And it, it is a selling job. And that's another dynamic thing. I think most leaders I've, I've spoken with, that I spend time with formally or informally, would agree that every leader in an organization, regardless of what function you represent, has to be a salesperson. And by that, I mean uh, you have to communicate an idea and get people bought into why that idea represents something meaningful that we should all sign up for. Now, you'd hope that the idea that you're selling, so to speak, is one that's been aggregated through a lot of conversation with employees about what should we be doing, what do we value, what's our vision, what's our values. But once you arrive at it, you got to sell it. you got to get people bought in. And that's through a combination of charisma, sense of humor, articulation, being clear in your communication, and being inspiring and showing people examples of what are the good things that happen to us and to the people we care about, like our families, our customers, our communities, when we achieve these goals. And to me, that's one of the key elements driving growth, exponential growth or any other measure of growth, is to articulate a vision of here's where we're going, people. This is the destination we want to get to. And when you articulate that, and that, that appears to be a glorious place. People get excited about, yes, we want to get there. Um, and then you help them understand. And when we do, here are the benefits. And on the way, during the journey, here are the benefits. Because the next interesting point to make as you're driving that journey, is, and this is part of the, I think, the irony in driving goal-based growth, is that there is no destination. The journey is, in and of itself, the destination. The joy for me is in the journey. Every time we've, quote, made it or arrived in any organization I've been part of, and usually it's been measured by an IPO. As I look back on it, the IPO wasn't the destination. In fact, the IPO was really just the, an important stop along the journey. 
And the journey got a lot more exciting after that, as measured by the company's market capitalization, the friendships that you forge, the skill sets you develop, the leadership experience that you gain. I had much more of all of that at Sybase and Siebel and Salesforce after the IPO. If I had the, the attitude that the IPO was like an exit, and okay, we're done, and now move on after the IPO, not only would I have left a lot of money on the table, I would have missed out on, the, no doubt, the the greatest return on that investment is measured in all those other things, friendships, experience, skill sets that I developed. So the, the journey is the destination. It's incumbent on a leader to inspire the team around the vision of what that growth will help them achieve. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful um, ideals there. And we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back with Dan Del Deegan talking about exponential growth. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. Social media is important to your business, but you might not know how to do it right. Doing social media yourself can be a challenge. I have discovered a company that gets it done for you. They post seven times a week to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+, and they can monitor reviews on over 45 sites at a price any business can afford. Get more information at GetSocialWithFee.com and get your free analysis to determine your company's social media effectiveness. Visit GetSocialWithFee, that's F-I dot com, and find out more today, because doing it wrong is worse than not doing it at all. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Mazanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. And we're back talking about exponential growth. And Triple D, tell us some of the success stories or turnaround stories of the people that you've witnessed grow during your time as a leader. Because I know relationships are really important to you. And I'm sure you've seen some really wonderful and amazing success stories that you're willing to share with us. Yes. And some of my favorites. In fact, really all of them at some point in the story center on personal development. The personal development is somebody on my team who I looked at and saw, in whom I saw great potential, and in some cases, different potential, even more potential than they themselves saw. 
and, and I'll give you an example, but I'm going to preface it with saying uh, there's, a, there's a metaphor that I've always found odd. In fact, I think I could even say I found offensive, and it is the notion when you hear people say, oh, this person works for me. Because as a leader, I think it, to be an inspiring leader of the type that we're talking about, you have to have a different view, and you have to, even have to change the way you talk about it. I don't view anybody in the organizations in which I've been an employee, whether I'm the president or whether I'm an individual contributor salesperson, I'm an employee. I don't view any of those companies. I've never viewed my role or described it as, well, John Doe works for me. Because quite the contrary is true. John Doe doesn't work for me. He works for his family. He works for you know, providing for his family and the people, his loved ones, the people he cares about in his family and his community. In fact, if anything, if anybody works for anyone, the metaphor is actually just the opposite. I work for him or her to try to enable their success. So I think we, we serve as leaders um, at, at, for the agenda, the personal development, the organizational development agenda of the teams that we hire and build. So one such example, and this is one of many, um, in a sales organization, you're often going to find people who have been successful in one role in, in a sales territory, um, driving revenue and with a certain collection of customers. And then you often find a sales superstar. And one example here is a woman that I worked with at Salesforce who's one of the brightest stars in the sales leadership team there still. And when she started working on my team, she was a top salesperson, and she had an aspiration to manage, but she didn't really quite understand why. She just felt like, well, I guess that's just the next thing you do. You're successful in sales, so aren't you supposed to go on and become a sales manager? I guess that's what you do, right? And so as many fall into that trap thinking this is just the next step, she stepped into sales role or a sales leadership role before really understanding why or, or knowing what her purpose would be and how she was going to measure success. She just figured this is the next logical stopping point along the journey. And her first experience, first six to 12 months in that sales leadership role was a struggle for her because she wasn't finding her way. She still behaved like an individual contributor salesperson. She wanted to kind of take the reins. She figured her role was the salesperson that was uh, in, in whatever that selling situation was, out on the sales call, out on the road, driving a negotiation, doing a contract. Uh, they, they, she'd push the salesperson out of the way, metaphorically speaking, and just kind of drive the process. She, she was still behaving like a driver. That doesn't scale. She has to be an enabler. So the metaphors I tried to help her with and the analogies was that she needed to be a coach, not a quarterback. And the coach, you know, who's not on the field, who's on the sidelines, right, needs to have pattern recognition with going on in the game, to have a game plan, but then modify that game plan as you get into in the game and you see what the, the other team is doing and how they're responding to your strategies. So think it has to be a visionary and a facilitator and to hire great people and then let them grow and facilitate their growth. So it took hitting the reset button with her and what her raison d'etre was going to be as a sales leader and what she evolved into by rethinking what her role was going to be and how she was going to measure success she evolved into the best sales leader on my team. And she became an embodiment of what we like to describe as the evolved sales leader, as an inspiring sales leader, as somebody who creates a vision for their team and others rally behind it because they're excited about it and they want to be part of that journey. So it's quite rewarding. And, um, and she's still a dear friend and a still a successful sales leader back at Salesforce. And her career, I'd like to think, uh, a catalyst for her career growth was the experience that we had together as she navigated that very important crossroads in her career. 
Yeah, and and the interesting thing for me about and I the reason why I love these turnaround stories is that in doing this radio show for the past over the over a year now, when I speak with people of different backgrounds, uh, different when I get the stories from different types of people, it really the the one common denominator that I see over and over and over again is that the obstacle whatever the obstacle may be, is the very thing that caused the outcome to be realized. And so I see that over and over again. And so, um, you know, when I spoke about uh, Jim Costello at the beginning of the um, at the beginning of the show, where it would have been really easy for him to say, yeah, I was one of the victims in the bombing. He's actually grateful for that difficulty because it, it is the, the, the very thing that led him to the love of his life. And so, you know, one, I've been reading, um, reading some uh, different accounts, different stories of late of people that are having that attitude of gratitude for the difficulties, even the smallest things. You know, saying, gosh, yeah. there's something there's something else out here for me. I know in my own case last year I was given the opportunity to um, and I, I sent a proposal to um, be the author for the next level of um, leadership and perseverance for Mark Tressman, the head coach of the Chicago Bears, for his story. And they asked me, um, actually, uh, Mark Tressman's publicist called me and asked me if I would send a proposal in for that, which I did. And at this time last year, I got turned down for it. And initially, I felt a level of disappointment. But after I got over the disappointment, I said, gosh, I really understand that there's something else out there for me that this project would have held me back on and the really and the 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 amazing thing and this is why I always say a year later you'll always know and you'll smile about it is that had I had that project under my belt I would not have had the freedom and flexibility to be with my dying mother and so I'm actually Mm -hmm. grateful that I did get turned down because it freed up my experience to spend time really learning and growing from the dying process in her, you know, and it's that's amazing a, to see. Yeah. That, that's a great analogy. Fee. That's a great example of how, you know, when you've heard the comment, I'm sure that, you know, life is 10% what happens and 90% how you react to it. Yeah. And, uh, and whether you believe in fate or outcomes that are preordained. I think oftentimes if, if we decide we're simply going to make the best of the situation and it, it gives us the ability to look back on an experience like what you described with the Mark Tretzman opportunity and then the opportunity to spend time with your mother at the end of her life, you never get that back. And I think you, that's indicative of how you view the world is that everything is an opportunity and you can either look at it as uh, a victim or you can look at it as there's something from this experience I can learn from and grow from and find something positive with, you know, the other overused cliche is if life gives you lemons, simply make lemonade. I think that's one of the most important lessons we can pass on to our children, not just the organizations that we lead is that life is going to deal you disappointments 
and you know your your journey, the quality of your journey through life, is a function of how you deal with those disappointments because they are inevitable. They are going to happen. Your successes you will celebrate, but how you deal with your disappointments is more of a determinant of the, the quality of your journey than how well you celebrate your successes. Yeah, and I I could not be happier um, and have had a better experience in the final months of her life. Um, we you know we talked about important things like you know love and living with no regrets, and um, you know we sat and prayed together and did things together that. I, I knew the window was closing quickly, and that was so meaningful and so important. I know I would not have had that opportunity had the project had I gotten the green light on the project. So it, it definitely was a blessing, and I knew I knew as soon as I as soon as I got the no, I, I felt that initial you know twinge of disappointment. But I said, "There's something else out there. There's something else greater than that is is going to be more important in driving my time." And I think. As we foster that belief, and it's it's total faith, and I, the faith that I got from my mom throughout, you know, my experience with her, and and having the blessing of having her as my mom, is really that's what drove me, and and she was the one that passed that down to me. So I feel really lucky to have had that. That's a beautiful perspective. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about ma- maintaining balance because I know it's often so easy for people to kind of you know just get into a singular focus you know driving growth driving exponential growth and you do a great job of maintaining balance during that time of growth. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think it comes back to the same concept of spinning plates. I have to decide the most important plates are in, inside the four walls of my home, right? my family or even my extended family. So the same metaphor applies. There are certain plates you keep spinning here that you got to keep the most keen eye on. And for me, that's my wife and our five children. And that's a lot of plates, of course. And then, you know, we are, of course, you and I represent a generation of parents here that are raising our children with a hyper degree of formalized involvement in youth sports and other organized activities through school, all kinds of extracurriculars. And it's wonderful. I think it enriches our children's experiences. It tends to stretch the limits on this generation of parents. In contrast, and I think, as you and I talked about, stark contrast to our own parents' generation, whose degree of engagement or even knowledge of what we were doing was oftentimes dramatically lighter than our generation of parenting. And it's an interesting pendulum that's swung here. I'm eager to see what our, our own children and how they parent their children evolves. But the prioritization is quite simple for me, and that is saying no to something in business is easy for me to do if it, it runs up against and direct contra, uh, conflict with something that's important for our children, a spring event, a graduation, and it doesn't even have to be a big formalized um, scheduled thing. Sometimes it's just, okay, one of our kids is struggling with something or has something really important this week, so I can't get on an airplane wherever. I'm going to have to do that via a conference call instead, or somebody else is going to have to do this meeting. There's a tendency for those of us in business, especially in leadership roles, to think of ourselves as the masters of the universe with this um, omnipotent impact on business situations, that how can it possibly go well without me being there? Well, guess what? It's going to be just fine. You don't have to be there. Now, you can't have that attitude 100% of the time and just be an absentee leader and blow off everything in the interest of your family. You have to strike a balance. 
But more often than not, I've found that when I struggle with, oh, how are we going to make this thing successful? I can't be there because my daughter or my son has this thing. We find a way. And we need to challenge ourselves to be more aggressive at enabling our organizations to get their jobs done. You lead them and inspire them, and you give them the models and the tools and the processes by which to plan and execute their business effectively. And when you do that, you don't have to be there in the room as often taking over the show. And that, when you realize that, I think it helps you balance work life more effectively. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we could spend all day talking about this as we, you know, as you and I, Dan, when we talk, we, we do, we say, gosh, I could, sp- I could spend all day long talking about leadership and growth and uh, personal and professional growth and, and, um, inspiring people and inspiring families and organizations. So I just want to offer my, heartfelt gratitude that I know your time is so valuable and that you have once again taken the time to be with not only with me but with our listeners today and um, you are living the dream Dan and I know that's your tagline another question that uh, will it will hold off for another conversation about that but I um, I give you so much thanks and gratitude for taking your time to share your wonderful and valuable insights with with all of us today so thank you so much well fee well, i thank you for inviting me i get a lot out of these conversations as well and i appreciate you including me in the dialogue with your listeners it's been a pleasure yeah and as always we honor the service and dedication of our men and women who serve our country and serve our freedoms we give you our gratitude for all that you do uh for this country and we also honor the dedication and the outreach of our expanding audience. Thank you all for listening and for sharing our message. And we wish you all a very inspired week. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for joining us this week on Direct Connect Empowerment. Fima Zanke will be back with another guest next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.